welcome to the Tool Poppies podcast. To find out more about our guests or the content of the program, including information about the musical excerpts, visit our website at tall-poppies.com. Hello, Brendan O'Shea here, and a very warm welcome to this edition of Tall Poppies, the podcast spotlighting Australian luminaries abroad. It's nice to have you with me. Thanks again to those who sponsor the podcast. Your contributions allow me to continue my work. And if you do enjoy this program, you might like to consider sponsoring the podcast. To find out more about how best to do this, simply send us an email or visit the Tool Poppies podcast Patreon page. You'll find a link on our homepage, tool-poppies.com. And don't forget to share the podcast around. You can repost the link to the Tall Poppies podcast on any social media or forward it to friends and family. Remember, the Tall Poppies website can be found at tall-poppies.com. And of course, you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. But time now to meet this episode's guest, a musician who hails from the Australian state of Victoria, the exceptional jazz trombonist, Shannon Barnett. In 2007, Shannon Barnett was named Australian Jazz Musician of the Year. This was in recognition of her exceptional trombone playing and compositional talent. Born in Taraugan, a town in the Australian state of Victoria, Shannon received her first musical training through that state's music education system. She went on to complete her music studies at the Victorian College of the Arts, where she graduated in 2004, majoring in jazz trombone. Over the last decade, Shannon has become an important contributor to the Australian music scene, performing in ensembles like Vada, the Bennett's Lane Big Band, and as a guest with the Andrea Keller Quartet. She's also appeared with the Australian Art Orchestra, Charlie Hayden, and the Paul Grabowski Sextet. In 2009, Shannon worked for a year as a multi-instrumentalist and composer with the contemporary circus group Circus Oz. In 2011, she decided to head to New York, where she completed a Master's in Music and performed with various local ensembles. From there, she moved to Germany, where in 2014, Shannon became a member of the VDR Big Band in Cologne. The first thing that popped into my head was New Orleans, which is, you know, the birthplace of jazz. And the way that that happened was that it really was a melting pot of different cultures already from the very start. Yeah, in New Orleans, you had the European influence already. You had the African influence. You had, it was a trade route. So you had all these amazing influences from different cultures. And that made jazz. Like, all those things came together to make jazz. And that hasn't changed. So even though the subgenres in jazz might be a little bit different, the, the mechanics of the music or in which kind of, which has a stronger influence where it comes from, 
the thing that they all have in common is that they are a collection of, of musical ideas, a collection of cultures mashed together in some way. And of course you can see that in other music, but I think jazz is really unique. It's often very welcoming of, of that. Since 2015, Shannon has her own quartet with Cologne-based musicians, Stefan Schmidt on saxophone, David Helm on double bass, and Fabian Ahrens on drums. They indeed released their debut album, Hype, in Recently, Shannon Barnett was appointed Professor of Jazz Trombone at the Hochschule für Musik in Cologne. But I caught up with the phenomenal jazz musician one summer afternoon in Berlin. Shannon Barnett, it's really lovely to meet you and thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for inviting me. Now, if I've got my information right, actually, you didn't choose the trombone, the trombone chose you, right? Yeah, that's true, actually. I was, well, actually, my family moved from Gippsland to, to Kyneton. I took up trombone after they, they told me that there were no more uh, clarinets available. I wanted to play clarinet quite desperately. But yeah, they gave me a trombone. And yeah, actually, after the first week, I, I genuinely fell in love with it. It's just such a great instrument. It's so physical and it's similar to the voice. And yeah, I really loved it. So that's, that's how I got my start. Yeah. <laughs> Right, let's go from the Gippsland, of course, into the BCA, where you studied first and uh, graduated then in the in 2004 or something. Oh, we don't want to go back that way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You found it a good place for sorts of things that you were interested in and exploring and developing yourself in many ways. Yeah, I loved it there. Actually, I was lucky to have a really good, really good classmates. Maybe everyone did, but I was surrounded by some really interesting musicians, young musicians. So that was very inspiring. And also our teachers were really encouraging to us that they that we would explore sort of new music, original compositions, free improvisation, things like that. So it was a very open environment and, yeah, a very encouraging one. And I just felt creatively very free from the start there, like to try different things and everything was, was possible. And, yeah, it was a really great time. Yeah. You sort of like it was a – like – 2007 or something, you started to get your own quartet together and the, and the necessity for you to actually lead and to, to move into things from being an instrumentalist and performing to actually writing and composing yourself. Did that happen fairly early on? Jazz musicians are composers. Yeah, that's true. I mean, a lot of people probably would agree that composition is kind of just an extended form of improvisation because you're, it's still your ideas. You just 
kind of solidifying them a little bit more. Or composition, so improvisation is composition in real time. You can also think of it that way. So yeah, with this start that I had with with my first teacher, I was already doing, already composing that from from quite a young age, and uh, and improvising. So yeah, I, I see the two as very much intertwined, and. Yeah, at the VCA, like I said, that was really encouraged to explore different different combinations and that's of instruments and, and sounds and things. And so that's how I started my quartet. Uh, my teacher, Adrian Sheriff, actually a really great bass trombone player, he encouraged me to make a band and he said, I remember him saying, don't think about the instruments in the band, think about the personalities, the people that you want to have in the band, that you want to write music for, that you want to hear playing your music. And that's why actually I started... My quartet was originally a trio. It was just guitar and drums and trombone, which is kind of not the normal jazz lineup, I guess. But And then we added a six-string acoustic electric bass with Chris Hale later on. So, yeah, it was always really about those people and those improvisers and how they sound together and, and playing my music. So, yeah, it was really it was a luxury to write for them and, and have that band for a few years while I was, while I was living in Melbourne, yeah. Tell us about the adventure into improvisation. Why did you choose this strand? I mean, a trombonist, of course, could have a wonderful job in an orchestra or could have a job in a big band, which you've done for a little while as well. Why was it clear for you that you wanted to go down this jazz improvisation stream rather than perhaps the classical? Actually, I I had that option when I started at the VCA because I was accepted into both streams, actually, the classical and the jazz. And I don't know, it's just always always been really important to me to have this outlet of, of expression and creativity and I found with classical music I, I couldn't get that at that stage and I always keep coming back to that like I've had a few diversions like like you said playing in this big band for a few years and doing some other work when I was I lived in New York as well and, and playing in other projects there but somehow I always kind of reorient myself back to this thing where I have this outlet for expression and a bit more freedom uh, so that's just somehow it's a part of me and I always have to kind of come back to being, being honest with myself about that. Like, are these projects or is this situation uh, giving me enough space to express my ideas and interact with other musicians? So, yeah, I try to, try to focus on that as much as possible. You mentioned there something that's interesting in the structure of the American courses. Yep. You were there as a postgrad student and so you, you got also to examine with the undergrad as well, as you yep. mentioned. In what ways were they different to what you were used to? Well, I think it may, maybe it's changed a little bit now in Melbourne where I studied, but at, when I studied at the VCA, like I mentioned, the course was very focused on creativity and composition. And in the States, at least at the school that I was at, which was Purchase College, they were very focused on the tradition of jazz and everybody had to learn transcriptions of solos. They had to learn all about the greats and this kind of worshipping of, of the people of jazz history, which I don't think is a bad thing, but that was the focus not not so many people were composing or carrying on the tradition it was it was all about learning as much as you could about what's already happened 
Uh, and I think that's kind of a symptom of the music coming from the States and then being very proud of that tradition. It's American music. So they feel like this dedication. Whereas in Australia, I think it's a little bit more open. We're influenced by the European jazz scene, by the American jazz scene, not necessarily tied to the tradition as much. And that, that I really noticed that. Yeah, it's a bit different. Mm. I'm going to ask you a big question here because it seems to come into the to the right moment, and that is, how would you define jazz? Because uh, my experience constantly is that I end up at a jazz festival somewhere and all of a sudden I'm listening to the most amazingly um, varied palette of music mm. that categorises itself or is categorised as jazz. What about, mm. what, how does Shannon Barnett define jazz? <laughs> well... You put me on the spot a little bit with that one, but mm-hmm. I think the first thing that popped into my head was was New Orleans, which is you know the birthplace of jazz, and the way that that happened was that it really was a melting pot of different cultures already from the very start. Yeah, in New Orleans you had the European influence already, you had the African influence, you had it was a trade route, so you had all these you know amazing influences from different cultures, and that made jazz. Like all those things came together to make jazz, and that hasn't changed. So even though the subgenres in jazz might be a little bit different, the the mechanics of the music or in which kind of which has a stronger influence where it comes from the thing that they all have in common is that they are a collection of, of musical ideas a collection of cultures mashed together in some way and of course you can see that in other music but i think jazz is really unique in that it's very it's often very welcoming of, of that it, it's sort of unabashed in a way like yeah we've checked out south indian music or we've checked out asian music whatever, and now we're incorporating that into our creative expression and that's that's what i think is great yeah the term jazz i mean you can kind of argue about it all day whether it's appropriate for all types of things that people call jazz but um yeah just this this mishmash of cultures and this um expression this freedom of expression i think that's what sets it apart for example from various forms of classical music for example mm. yeah and, and it's interesting as you say that then it, it for me it seems to fit perfectly into australia isn't it that's true yeah yeah we have a lot of different cultures sort of coming together there i think it could go a little bit further maybe even in australia in the next mm. years with inclusion of, of more cultures in the jazz world but that's happening a lot for example with the Australian Art Orchestra and Paul Grabowski they do a lot of projects for example with Indigenous Australians or um, Simon Barker has done projects with South Korean musicians so yeah I think Australia is really open to that which is great. I think one of the amazing things of course about artists is that they tend to have the honour of having a lot to do with different cultures and a lot to do with people from all over the place and uh, you yourself already we're going to get on to Germany in a moment. But how important is that, do you think, for music in that respect and for you as a musician to have this contact? And how supportive do you think Australia is in that respect for making sure that those types of important aspects of cultural life, of the arts, actually, you know, get the support they need? Yeah, that's a big, that's a big topic. I think musicians in Australia are are very open and they want to make cultural connections. Uh, A lot of musicians from Australia travel a lot and meet musicians from other countries and will play in other countries and then bring those musicians back to Australia. I think that's a very strong thing. I mean, there's there's some really good uh, funding support from, for example, from the Australia Council and I'm not sure that it it gets the real recognition that it deserves in Australia from the general society which I think is a shame because, you know, we're in a, an age where we're welcoming people from a lot of different cultures into Australia. We have done for a long time, but I'm not sure if 
the general society is, is ready to incorporate all those cultures into the general music scene and the general way of life and it's such a good way to do it, like to welcome people to be involved with their music. I mean, multicultural arts Victorian organisations like that definitely help. But the the access, the everyday access of, of everyday people, I guess, in Australia to, to the arts and to these new cultures, I mean, that could really be strengthened through music, I think. And I hope that it that, that happens in the next years. Mm. Yeah. What about Australia in general? Uh, we're both of us are living away and I'm, of course, talking to Australians all over the place and I'm asking them all a little bit the same question in the sense that we're getting a lot of negative headlines. We're getting a lot of negative headlines about our treatment of refugees and and environmental things. Uh, also, you know, a country that's in so many ways we're all foreign there, except, of course, for the Indigenous people. How, how do you think Australia is coping with those new challenges? Um, well... Not very well. <laughs> it's been interesting, actually, in the the last weeks I've been observing some changes in, in German politics or in, in European politics. For example, they're talking about how to manage the migrant problem here, a refugee problem. And they started talking about basically about something similar to offshore detention centres, which we have in Australia, which has been a complete disaster. And it's embarrassing, I think. It's a national embarrassment. And they've been talking about it here. And I'm thinking, no, no, please, like, look what happened in Australia. This is a terrible idea. So I've yeah I'm embar- embarrassed for our country for that, given that we do have this history of of coming from different cultures and 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 this colonialization and then to say no but now you can't come here and be a part of this and I think it's really sad um, yeah and I mean as far as the environment goes it's also a tragedy yeah I mean it can get really it can get really into this topic but what I've noticed like being away from home is the change in Australia, I feel like it's become, I don't know if I'm using the right terms and things, but it's, it's, the focus has become very much on, on this sort of capitalist economy, which I think is a shame. I don't know if that was, I think there was kind of a crossroads where that was possible to go in a different direction. So, you know, it's very expensive to live in Australia now, I can't believe it. it that was not always the case when I was living there. and. Yeah, that's just you see that as a symptom of everything else, and, and this kind of closing off of borders is, is also part of that. And I don't know, it's all I find it kind of confusing and and a bit disappointing to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry to be so negative about my country, but. Work for a while in, a, in something rather exciting. You work with Circus Oz for a period of time. I always think that must be quite amazing. Um, how much of that was improvised? How much of that was uh, prepared in a way? What a wonderful thing to do. Yeah, it was really great, actually. I worked for a year for Circus Oz. There were three musicians in the company and I think something like eight acrobats, eight or nine acrobats, and we made the show from the ground up. Uh, and they do that basically every year. It's a new show. And so we composed the music in conjunction with acrobats for their kind of acts. But also the thing that I found 
great about working for that company was that they encouraged the musicians to learn skills from the acrobats and they encouraged the acrobats to learn skills from the musicians. So even though we were only three musicians, we also at points during the show had an extra saxophone player come out and one of the acrobats would play a few notes and uh, and or something else or sing or whatever. So it was really great. And I also got to learn how to hang upside down and play the trombone, <laughs> which was, I never thought I would be doing that. So yeah, we developed an act where I was suspended from the legs of the strong woman and she was sitting on a trapeze and then we went up in the air and I played a solo upside down. Uh, yeah, I think I did it something like a hundred times in the end. hundred shows or something. I don't know. But it was that was a really great experience and working with people from, from other disciplines was also, that was something new to me too. Learning how acrobats work, uh, how they train and it was a full-time job so we got to spend a lot of time working on that show and, and then touring it around Australia. Yeah, it was a really, it was a really great time. Let's look at the fact that you, in 2014, came to, to live in Germany and uh, got a job in, in a very prestigious uh, ensemble, yep. the VDF Big Band, probably one of the best in the country. How has it been for you, the experience, first of all, encountering the place that music has in, in Germany and the sort of money that's spent on it and, you know, the interest that's there? Well, the big band, for example, is part of the radio station in the state where I live, um, North Rhine Westphalia in English. Very good. Um, yeah, I always have to think about it in English how yeah, it's yes. Yeah, and so we are yeah part of the public broadcasting system, but um, everyone is is paid a salary, and we put together programs that are yeah performed mostly for the citizens of Germany, but then sometimes we do tours. Uh, and I found that there's really a fan base for that band, and they're very proud of having this band in the state, which is it's a very special thing. I mean, generally, music is, is very well funded in Germany, especially original music, contemporary music. Uh, the band is, of course, very well funded because it's part of sort of a government organisation. Um, and so those things, I mean, they used to happen in Australia a bit, but they've been consistently cut back over the years, which is a shame. So yeah, it was it was amazing, and especially to come from New York, where it's actually probably in some ways even worse than Australia in terms of the conditions of, of musicians' employment. To come to a job where you're paid a salary to play very high-level music and meet amazing guests and conductors, I mean, it was that was a real dream come true. I didn't even actually know that that existed. I was really <laughs> ignorant of the art scene in, in Germany. I mean, not totally ignorant. I knew that it was supported, but I didn't know to what extent. And, yeah, I mean, travelling around, playing in different venues with that band, I realised, like, even the small towns, like, they're very passionate about going to hear live music uh, still. <laughs> so mm. that's, that's been, yeah, it's been really great. And I love, I love living there, so, yeah. Indeed. But that hasn't kept you. It must have been a huge decision to decide to, to, to take leave from, from that wonderful group for a while and, and go the less secure way, yeah? Yeah, well, actually, in the last few months, I've decided to permanently leave the band. Mm. It's been an amazing experience. I worked there for four years. I got to play with some incredible musicians and, yeah, with, work with Vince Mendoza, for example, which I just never had dreamed of in the past. So it was great. But I think, 
yeah, I was really missing again this what I was talking about before with this sort of um, yeah orientation back towards creative output and I was really missing that because the job in the big band is basically to read what's put in front of you and occasionally to play improvised solos with the band so you're really part of a team and you're supporting the guest and that was really a great experience but it's not what's really I don't know what's it doesn't it doesn't include everything that's really important to me as a musician so I feel like I, I gained a lot of skills from that and I saw a lot of how different a lot of different situations work with guest artists for example and and composers and arrangers and I'll take that and now I'm ready to go into a new step which I think is also a very important point as as a musician improvising musician to consistently be changing your outlook where you're headed putting yourself in different situations because you can only grow stronger from that I think and I know now for me it's it's the time to do that but of course it's difficult because it's a it's a full-time job it's a salary job there's not many salary jobs for jazz trombone players in the world so I think some people think I'm crazy but I think it's way more important to be happy and fulfilled in what you do and I also didn't want to be sitting there next to my colleagues and and not being fully invested in in the project anymore so I think they respect that too they've been very supportive but I'm very excited about it and I'm, I'm ready to follow this path with my with my quartet it's been working together anyway for a few years and also to pursue other projects and compose and also um, teach I really enjoy teaching so I started teaching I was lucky to get some positions in Germany where I'm teaching at the university level and I just love that exchange of energy because you're sharing your experiences and um, and your your knowledge and they're excited about music and want to learn the students want to know and they want to practice and you can help them develop and I think I can go on about that for forever, but um, I think that's such an important part of jazz. You see this role models, mentorship, like that's been there since the start. I saw it with John Faddison, Dizzy Gillespie, all this. These these relationships are so important in jazz and they foster the next generation. And, and I'm ready now, I'm getting a little older and I want to be part of that with the, the youth coming up with their new ideas and I want to support that. And I, I really genuinely enjoy that. So I'm looking forward to following that a little bit more in detail. Improvisation is, of course, uh, a very specific type of music making. How are you finding the audiences uh, for a start here in Germany and how receptive and how open are they to these very, very, very different sorts of sounds that you, you play? That's, that's a really good question. And I think um, I'll answer it by saying now that I have left the big band and I'm working more on my own things, I found it very interesting that the the different audiences that there are, which I, I kind of didn't realise. There's some very open audiences in Germany generally, and that's that's been really amazing to experience. People are ready to listen to whatever you're going to give them, actually, in, in the in most cases. But what I found is actually the, the big band is like, it's quite a, it's not conservative, but the music is, is, is quite traditional in a way. Like, it's it's not particularly experimental or progressive, which is fine. You Sometimes we present different uh, guest artists who might be a little bit 
more progressive, but generally the big band format, it's very well uh, well known to audiences. They kind of know what they expect. And I found that from my work in that band, I kind of gained some fans, but I don't think they expected to hear, they didn't expect what, what my music actually is when I, when I compose. It's very, very different from the big band. And so I put a few projects on in the last few months where I kind of had the feeling from the audience that this was a bit of a stretch for them. But, I mean, they showed up, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, but also the other experience that I had, which was quite entertaining in a way, um, was that uh, a, f- a friend of mine, he runs a festival uh, near Munich. And for a long time, this festival was based on um, traditional jazz, although the programming was uh, centred around traditional jazz, New Orleans jazz, which I also play and have sort of a profile in that in that scene as well in Europe. And But he said, oh, no, we're trying to broaden the program. So on the first night, you can play in this kind of more New Orleans situation. And then on the second night, we want to have your quartet. And I said, have you heard my quartet? Have you heard the CD? Are you sure this is going to fit well with the audience? Oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. Don't worry about it. So the first night, great. New Orleans band. Everyone loved it. Fantastic. Um, Mostly a bit of an older audience. And then the second night, we played with my quartet. And after the second song, about 10 people left Mm. the hall. And I wasn't used to that because... I feel like my quartet is also not that experimental. Um, there's, you know, the thing, sometimes there's a groove or something to latch onto. There's melody. There's, it's not totally out there or anything experimental. Uh, and, but some people, they really couldn't handle that because they, they just, they weren't open. Mm. They, they weren't ready to hear something new. They wanted to hear the old hits or something. And you, you get that everywhere. But that really surprised me because I had rarely experienced that in Germany. And, and especially not in Cologne. There's places like, for example, The Loft is a really great music venue in Cologne where you go there and sometimes you don't know what to expect and that's the beauty of it and there's a dedicated audience for that and I think that's really fantastic. I mean, oh, I just, I really like that. It's, you can find the right places, you definitely can connect with the right audiences here. And What about back home? What about back in Australia? How are the audiences there? How adventurous are they? How open are they? I think that's changed too in the last few years, although I don't live there so I can't really categorically say, but I feel like it's headed actually more back towards a more conservative sort of jazz audience yeah I mean there's there's a lot of jazz clubs now a lot of a lot of opportunities a lot of music but I wouldn't say that a lot of the output is particularly uh, not progressive but it's not it's not totally experimental that that's sort of missing I remember when I was at the VCA and that that we would go there was the make it up club which still exists where people would really just be improvising this sort of free improvisation scene I think it's not as popular as it was there's a lot of for example, New Orleans style bands—they're they're much more—they're hit with the with young people now because they have such a positive vibe and they bring a lot of positive energy. So it's not a bad thing at all. But I do see that the kind of the the subgenres that become popular—that's changed a lot since I was living there. And I think the audiences go along with that too. I mean, yeah, I think if you want to see free improvisation, for example, more experimental things, you really have to know where to look in Melbourne. If you want a yeah, modern jazz that has um, some more sort of easily recognisable frameworks or, or a history there, that's very easy to find. And some great improvisers within that scene, that's not the question at all. Yeah, but I do see the audience as a, as a little bit different between Australia and Germany. Sometimes I think the, the German audience has been exposed to a lot more things. It's also maybe a longer tradition of, of jazz here or of, of, of art in general. It's an older country and... It's been part of society a lot longer. Whereas Australia, I feel like it's still seeping into the society a little bit more. We're very much focused on sports and other things too. And that's always been the way. So I think that's changing there too. So yeah, we'll see how it goes in the next few years. 
often have composers been inspired by you? One circumstance where uh, I was had a solo sort of written for me which was from the composer Pedro Giraudo and I actually used to work with him in New York in his band and then he was invited as a, as a guest composer to work with the big band here in, in Cologne or in Cologne and he wrote this piece called Air for me to play. He was looking for like a Greek god or some kind of Greek god or, or Roman goddess actually uh, that he could write music about because he was thinking about the struggles that women face in the music scene, which is which is really amazing. And so he found this this goddess air, and I have to familiarise myself again with the story, but um, it was a very, very, in any case, a very strong female figure. And so he wrote this beautiful piece solo for me to play, and I, I was just such an honour. Always a huge honour when someone listens to your sound, your way of improvising and hears that in one of their own compositions. I mean, it's actually, it's a huge honour, yeah. You touched on it. In the light of the Me Too campaign and everything that's happening in that respect, how's it been for you as a young woman in the jazz scene or in the music scene in general? As Has this changed? As you've, have you noticed over the last decade or two where you've been working fairly solidly in this respect? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a very big topic. I think the, the most positive thing that I can say is that in the last five years or so, the conversation has started. When I was at the VCA, for example, and there were only two other instrumentalists, female instrumentalists in, in my year level, in a, you know, a cohort of 30 or something, um, it wasn't even discussed. It was like, yeah, hardly any women play. That's how it is. And today, there's this discussion, yeah, why? And men are starting to go, oh, yeah, true. There's not very many women around. Why is that? And so, at the very least, this conversation is happening. Or Why, why do women feel like they can't be a part of this scene? And uh, so, yeah, so women and men are starting to talk about that and work together to establish why. And I think that's a very complicated question. And then to try and find solutions to that so that everyone feels involved in the scene, feels like they can have a chance in that scene. It just comes from so many different directions of why that, what needs to change and why that's happened. Societal, also within the scene, yeah, it's complicated. But I'm positive about it and I think it's going the right direction. Yeah, as a young woman, I had some, I've had some horrendous things happen to me in, in my career, which I don't even need to mention because I think any woman who's listening will know them. Because <laughs> we've no, all give us, give us a couple of examples. I mean, for example, already as a trombonist, yeah. you know, people have a stereotype of who should play the trombone. How yeah. boring is that? Totally boring. And actually, a couple of weeks ago, I attended a concert of the National Youth Jazz Orchestra in Germany. They played in the Philharmonie in Cologne. And I've worked with them before as a tutor. And I'm yeah, a big fan of the organisation. They're great. But there, was a, there were a lot of people there because it was a big celebration for the orchestra, 30 years. And uh, there are a lot of important people from German musical organisations there. And I was introduced by someone to this gentleman, older gentleman, who's, who has a very important position in, uh, in the music world in Germany. And I was introduced as, the trom as a trombone player from the video Big Band. It's quite well known here in Germany. So, And he said, he said, trombone, you? Is it not bigger than you? Um, and all these sorts of things. I mean, and he, yeah, it was just, it was very belittling. And I mean, he was talking to me like I was a little girl. I'm 35 years old and I'm a professional trombone player. And I've been that uh, professional trombone player for, I don't know, f over 15 years. And for him to belittle kind of my choice of instrument somehow and not take me seriously as a professional musician, I could hardly believe it because even when I was a younger woman, I kind of expected that in a way somehow, but now that I've established myself and I was introduced as a, a peer in a way, mm. and to then have that said, you know, and then he also said something like, 
oh, 30 years ago, women didn't really play that instrument because it's so physical. And <laughs> it's just unbelievable that these, these views still exist. That's the first thing. But the second most important thing is that that person is responsible for a lot of the um, support of young musicians in Germany. And I think the biggest challenge for me personally is how to deal with those situations when they arise because it was so unexpected. I didn't know what to say. And it's very important that this person is made aware that that is not okay to say that and that he's actually, with these kinds of opinions, hampering the progress of young female musicians that are sometimes under his care, actually. And I just, But I have to learn, okay, how do I react in this situation instead of just complete and utter shock or, or rudeness or something, just to say, hey, do you realise this is not a very, you know, very good opinion to have or very good... Uh, thing to say when you have such a position and you that you want to change these things so I don't know that was really that was challenging but yeah in terms of other sexism that I've faced in the industry there's been a variety of situations you know I've I've been oh, I could just rattle a few of them off the top of my head like one time I was I worked in New York as a in a horn section which was all female not a problem with that uh, but they had us dress in these ridiculous kind of see-through angel dresses and, it, and then it became apparent, oh, it's not really about the music, it's about us standing here looking like angels with brass mm. instruments. Mm. But like sexy angels, not like Christian angels <laughs> or something. So that those sorts of things when you don't realise what you're getting into and like a man would never be given a see-through costume to wear and told to wear nude underwear or something like that. And then, I mean, the other one, which I won't get into the total details of it, but when I was a young musician around about 18 or 19, I was already starting to work in the scene a little bit in Melbourne and and an older musician kind of uh, mentored me but it turned out that he didn't have the best interests in my future and um, and it turned out that he had a, kind of a habit of this with, with young, other younger girls and um, kind of grooming them in a way. What was worse was that it was a big band that, uh, that he had me involved in and I never had, like not one other man in this band, they were all, they were all men, ever said anything to me about it or to him about it they they didn't protect him but that's the worst they just didn't say anything and it caused like some big problems in my family and uh and families of a lot of other young women um you know nothing nothing to me thankfully nothing serious happened but it was definitely heading that way and it was it became quite scary for me at sometimes and then this person he actually never even went to jail and a few years afterwards a detective called me to talk about this guy and that was all I could deal with all that, but what I couldn't deal with was the fact that there were all these older men there, and I was eighteen or nineteen, and they didn't do anything about it, and they knew what he was like. And I think, thankfully, I think that's changing too. People are way more aware. Young musicians are way more aware of their colleagues and and people treating each other with respect and watching out for those kinds of situations. Um, and there's been a few incidents like that in Australia in the last years too, in, in at various universities and things like that, which. We've got to watch out for that and protect these, these young women, you know. Oh, it's, yeah, I could talk about it all day. Well, I think what you've said, though, is really important. The conversations have started. Yeah. Not protecting men. But I think a lot of men don't know how to react yeah. and don't know what to say and are also under another peer pressure as well. Absolutely. And actually, sometimes I get in trouble for saying that, I realise, too. For, for not, not I'm sticking up for men, but you have to be able to see it from both sides. You can't just say, yeah, we're, we're in the minority and we're being discriminated against and these bad things are happening. Just, you've got to fix it, you know, or whatever. Like, it's your fault. <laughs> 
I understand that it has to come from both sides and that we have to be able to see how men operate in a social group and I don't want to stop that. Like the, the bonds that men have or young men have growing up and playing together, that's great. I don't want to stop that. It's not it's not about that. It's about realize, both sides realizing how it is for the other side. That's always the case. And what we can do to make it a more comfortable situation for everybody and then also tell men how they can help. But then it's hard because I got in trouble. I remember I wrote a post on Facebook uh, about my experiences as a woman and uh, and I thanked a lot of men at the bottom of the post who had really supported me. I mean, genuinely supported me, not just I got a gig with that guy or he doesn't care if I'm a woman, like genuinely supported and, and, and helped me and said, ah, this is this is hard for you, you're a woman and, and opened up opportunities for me. And I got a lot of backlash from other women for thanking men, which I can also kind of understand on the one hand, but you have to tell, like we have to tell men what you're doing is great keep doing that like that's very helpful you were helpful for me that's why i'm still here and uh so hopefully i can some of these young women can understand that that it's not a fight yeah <laughs> sorry i get really that's emotional right. about it prepared do you think that Australian background of yours made you for the career that you have today? Hmm. Well, I think Australians, these are all generalisations, but I think we're seen often as quite relaxed people, open people, friendly, and I think that's really, I'm, I belong to that generalisation. And that's been very helpful because moving to different countries, I've um, been willing to learn about them and learn about people from those countries, the cultures, the uh, you know, in Germany it was a bit harder than in New York, but uh, well, I think, the yeah, the language aspect, but also the cultural aspects are a bit more pronounced than between Australia and the States. Um, but I think that kind of ready for everything attitude, I mean, I think that really helps you as a musician too, because even in the hard times, you know, you go, ah, oh, it's cool. I'll go meet, I'll go to a gig and I'll talk to some musicians and I'll make some new connections and very open people, you know, Australians. So I think that's really helped. Yeah, also we're known as travellers, you know, and so I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not afraid of moving across different countries around the world. I think sometimes Germans, for example, they're, they're like, oh, wait, how long does it take to fly home to Australia? And you're like, yeah, you know, 24, 26 hours, something like that. They just can't fathom that. And then to get on a train, for example, and go two or three hours, it feels like nothing to me. And for people who live here, you know, they're, they're used to different distances. So that's been funny. But yeah, yeah, I have to think about that question a little bit more. <laughs> When do you feel Australian? Oh, when do I feel Australian? I mean, of course, when I go home and talk to my dad, I think that's the number one <laughs> thing because I feel like also my accent has become a lot more, or when I talk to other Australians it comes out a bit more, but and it's become a little bit milder, but every time I go home and talk to my dad and sit in the shed and drink a beer, very Australian. <laughs> oh, I was there for Christmas, you know, Christmas in Australia, that's also the thing, because it's so different from in the Northern Hemisphere, so, yeah. 
Oh, I don't know when do I feel it's strained. My dad's like my centre of gravity sometimes. Wow. Was he musical? No, not at all. But he loves music. And it's it's really interesting because, um, I mean, he'll go, he'll retire soon in a couple of years or so, I think. But he started to develop a real interest in jazz music and he never listened to it before. He loved music. He always had this great big collection of LPs, but mostly 70s rock. So I had, I'm very well versed in 70s rock, 70s, 80s rock. <laughs> And I love it, yeah. And uh, but now he's, I, f- I come home, you know, every year or something, and he's found all the community radio stations that play jazz or things like that. And this, I have to tell this story because it's so amazing to me. Uh, for someone who's not trained in music, I was practicing at home, just trombone and metronome, and I was playing through a standard, a jazz standard. And uh, anyway, so I was playing the melody or whatever, but then I was just soloing with a metronome, no chordal accompaniment, no other tips. <laughs> hints and then he was outside and he put he came past the window and put a sticky note on the window that said I remember you question mark is that the, is that the title of the piece that you're wow. playing he recognized what I was practicing and that was that was such a special thing for me because I'm like wow he's really starting to get into it and it's because you know his daughter is following this path but he also genuinely loves the music and he recognized I couldn't believe that he recognized this song just from me messing around on the trombone and so that's been really nice. This can make this connection a little bit stronger between us. Yeah. What about other Australian musicians that have been influential? Oh, there's been many. I would start with Andrea Keller, a piano player and composer. Studied composition with her for one year, and she was very encouraging, a real mentor figure, and now friend. And she invited uh, myself and Gian Slater, the vocalist, to play on a record of hers when we were just out of university. And that was an absolutely invaluable experience. We recorded at the ABC studios, mm. her music. That was a real, it was also a real game changer for Gianna and I in terms of getting into the scene in Melbourne and being seen as, as sort of voices on our instrument. Uh, so she was, she was really important to me. Um, Adrian Sheriff, my teacher at the VCA, he's a bass trombone player, but he also plays a variety of instruments from a variety of cultures. One of these people who's just incredibly invested in music and and, uh, so he was also very inspiring really encouraged me he introduced me to Paul Grabowski and I got to play in the Australian Art Orchestra so yeah he opened up a lot of opportunities for me too oh there's so many yeah I think I'm I'm really proud of the scene that we have in Australia and the versatility the the variety of influences that we have and these great strong improvising voices and, and I actually just I just hope that that becomes more apparent to people from other countries because that's what I've also noticed but I think a a lot of people in Europe have no idea about the Australian jazz scene even though you'd think with the development of of the internet and these other platforms that they would have more avenues to find this music but they don't know that it's such a scene they know they know James Morrison and that's about it Mm. so yeah I'm hoping that now that I'm here and building a career that I can kind of maybe open some connections there a little bit more as well somehow. I hope so too. When I think of Australia I think of uh, I guess oh, I just feel like everything's going to sound lame. I think of is the nature and what I grew up with, this amazing country with these amazing forests, beaches, everything. It's really amazing. And the size of the country as well, I think. like It's just such a vast land. It will always be my home. Where do we find Australia in your music? I think a lot of my music has a lot of humour and playfulness in it. And... And I'm, I'm quite proud of that. And I think that's it's quite funny because it's it's often really juxtaposed in the German scene or with like the three musicians in my quartet are all German. 
And I think that against the way, the way that they play, it's even more obvious. Like there's this other voice comes from somewhere else. So yeah, this this humor and um, also the it's very it can be very relaxed the way that I play, and also the the willingness to include to very obviously include music from other genres like within my own composition, like quite unashamedly, rather than it. Yeah, sometimes yeah, I guess this this is this sort of melting pot of things, which I think is quite common to for a lot of Australian musicians. Yeah. Shan Barnett, this has been a great pleasure. What a lot of energy you've got, a lot of wonderful things, wonderful projects happening there. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> the jazz trombonist Shannon Barnett talking to me there. If you'd like to find out more about Shannon's work, then visit the Tall Poppies website, tall-poppies.com, or send us an email to info at tall-poppies.com. At the website, you'll also find there a comprehensive listing of the music played in this podcast. Tall Poppies, a podcast, was produced in Berlin by me, Brandon O'Shea, thanks to my co-producer Nishad Pandey, who helped me put together this episode, and special thanks to my sound engineer, Jürgen Kuhn. It's nice to have you with us. I'm Brendan O'Shea, and I'll look forward to welcoming you to the next edition of Tall Poppies, the podcast, very soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.